Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. Uh, just two quick things before starting possibly the most singularly bookish episode I think I've ever done. Uh, firstly, Rose had a greyhound, which made a little bit of noise. So hopefully uh, those noise issues aren't a problem for anyone. And secondly, due to the choice of books, I'm going to have to put in a quick trigger warning. We do uh, talk around the issue of sexual violence uh, just a little bit. So just wanted to put that warning in there as well. Anyways, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Sandspants Radio, Australia's most procedurally generated podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimrellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show, we have comedian and writer Rose Bishop. How you doing, Rose? Yeah, I'm all right, you know, considering. Considering? <laughs> I just, lockdown six, uh, we're in it. We're sitting in it. Yeah. Look, I uh, I see we're we're gonna we're gonna timestamp this <laughs> immediately. This podcast for exactly where it's at. I feel like we're better off now than we were, like. Actually, no, that's a crazy thing to say. I'm <sighs> totally showing my privilege right now, but a, a week ago, purely because like now we know, like yeah. a week ago, it was like there was a chat, like it was, oh, might be in, might be out, what's going on? But now we're like, oh, no, we're, we're in prison now. No, I agree. You know, because it's, it's hope is important, but certainty is as well. And we've got certainty now that we'll be in lockdown for longer. <laughs> yeah. For, forever, basically. Yep. Yeah. And, it's you know, done. that's a kind of psychological cold comfort. So, sure. I guess, yeah. Again, showing off that there's no like <laughs> pressing issues concerning me apart from my, oh, I feel so sad about I can't go to a oh, cafe. Yeah. But, you know, literally what can you do? Nothing. Mm. They'll get vaccinated, I guess. That's about yeah. anything. Done that. Yeah? I'm done. Fully vaxxed. Ah, okay. Show off. So Would now you go I'm just- AZ or Pfizer? Got the, got the old fies. So now I'm just, uh, now fies. I'm just chilling, relaxing, having a great time in jail <laughs> in my house. No, it's fine. It's fine. The sun's out. Me and my housemate have fostered a greyhound, which may bark at some point during this recording because he's just had foot surgery and he's very antsy because he can't go for a walk. Wait. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because mm. he literally can't. Because his foot. Yeah. Well, he yeah, can. Yeah. He wants to, but he's yeah. got a big, fat, infected foot in a, Bandage. So, <laughs> why would you get a greyhound? Oh, it's a foster. It's not. Um. Uh. It's a, it's a nice thing. I'm doing a nice thing. I'm a good person. Which <laughs> <laughs> is all I hear about greyhounds is that they're a quivering mess of anxiety. Oh, and stress. yeah. Now this one kind of rules. Like he's a real little butthole, but he's he's good. He's um he's really confident and he's like a dog, <laughs> which okay. is rare for greyhounds. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Now this guy's cool. He's a big. He's a big. Fat, well, fat for a greyhound. He's a big chunky chiller called Teddy, and uh, he's pretty cool. But yeah, he's barking a lot at the moment because he's just mad about not being able to go for a walk. And every time a dog walks past, he's like, "I'm going to kill you, <laughs> your walk Showing privileges." Him. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I feel it. Yeah, I feel it, that's Ted. What I was say. <laughs> None of us enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. He's in his own little dog lockdown, and he's also hating it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's something to do. It's nice. It's some structure in the day because you constantly got to be like, has he pooed? Has he peed? Has he pooed? Has he peed? Food, food. <laughs> it, it just sounds like so much effort, but I get it. It is. Do it's like rewarding, that. though, when he puts his wet little face on your lap. It's kind of nice. He's a very moist dog. I don't know why. So he's dripping from the nose. <laughs> okay, that does but sound no. pretty adorable, but yeah, still, I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a. He's just a, he's just a foster. He's just come straight off the racetrack, and he's we're sort of getting him used to living in a home and not being a weird goblin. And he's he's getting there. Okay. Well, that, that's helpful. Yeah, and then and then it's not too much of a commitment because then he'll move on. Yeah. and you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's probably going to get adopted out in the next few weeks. Oh, okay. No, okay, so yeah. you're doing that sort of thing. Nice, nice, yep. nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I guess that is, does fill in some of the time. And then you get to read books because I've, I've seen you got a whole bookshelf behind you. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty common. I'm I think I'm like a lot of other people our age in that like I sort of picked up a book in you know beginning of the first sort of wave of lockdowns and was like, huh, when was the last time I did this? <laughs> And it's been nice. I mean, I still haven't read all that much because, I don't know, I think it's pretty hard to sort of concentrate at the moment. And I think sometimes at this point in adulthood, you sort of learn to see reading as a chore by accident because you haven't yet entered your mum phase where you love novels again and (laughs) crime thrillers and, and like, flowery novels about people finding themselves after a divorce and stuff. So, like, (laughs) There's, I think there's this bit in the middle where, like, you love books when you're a kid because, well, I don't know if kids now do, but, you know, you love books when you're a kid because you that's what you do. You read books. That's your escapism. And then as an adult, you're like, ugh, uni, ugh, homework, ugh, effort, scroll, scroll, scroll. And then you enter your mum years and you get jazzed about it again. So you've got the glorious mum years to look forward to. Yeah, but right now I'm back. sort of in that book wasteland where I'm like, ugh, reading, and then you open up a book and you're like, oh, this rules. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that, uh, see because you, your choice of book <laughs> made you think like you were deep depressing and the... depressing and pretentious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's not the kind of book which. Uh, well, actually, let's, <laughs> let's say so. Your book of choice for today is mm. um, it's called Disgrace. Uh, I don't even know. I don't know if I've ever heard the author's name said out loud. J. M. Kutsi. I assume it's Kutsi. Yeah. Um, South African writer. Um, it won the Man Booker Prize, I think, in '99. I read it for the first time in in first year uni in 2004 um, and then reread it this year for the first time since. Um, and yeah, hadn't read it in the meantime, have kept my copy of it the whole time because it was deeply affecting when I first read it, but also kind of couldn't bring myself to revisit it. It's um, it's traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Like, as in, I, I haven't read it. I just did a quick uh, little summary so I could appreciate <laughs> what it mm. is. And I was like, Oh boy! <laughs> this is yeah, and look, it probably it probably needs a little bit of a, a trigger warning that it does like deal with you know sexual violence quite explicitly. Not something that I'm intending to talk about in any detail, but you know, for anyone who finds that triggering, it's probably not. Um, it, it may come up at some point because it's a sort of central um aspect of it is like sexual violence. So <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah. cool well, and fun. A- <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess like the for a quick from what I'm reading of a summary of it, it's just about a lecturer who has an affair with a student that gets disgraced, and then he goes off and lives with his daughter, and then a bunch mm-hmm. of messed up shit happens there, and it's yep. basically he just loses everything in his life, and then from I, I tried to actually skip because it sounds so interesting, I really want to read it, but like there is some small redemption of him losing. Yeah, who well, he is a little bit by the end. Yeah, well, no, that that's what I love story. about it actually. Is there's kind of no redemption. It's sort of about a man unraveling, um, uh, <laughs> okay. but like well. in a really interesting way. It's not really about like it, it's sort of like the, the protagonist is deeply unlikable and he doesn't become any more likable by the end of it. Um, and it's sort of it, I, it feels like the author kind of grappling a little bit with the sort of post-apartheid situation in South Africa through the character of this um, deeply privileged man. Uh, who doesn't really understand his own power um, and sort of, yeah, sees himself as a as a victim of the decline of civilization. Um, and he's not sort of – he's not so much redeemed in the end as he is sort of like as, – as a lot of his sort of pretensions and, and privileges and, and ideas about the world are sort of stripped away and he's, he's sort of – he's in a, in a much sort of baser state. It's a really – it's sort of – it's – it's a, it's a really short novel. It's a really quick read. It's a really easy read, even though it's fucking disturbing. Um, but it sort of starts with him in his sort of university setting and and by the end of it, he's sort of – he's like scarred and, and alone and, and confused and um, broke and like his only sort of hobby or, or daily activity is euthanizing dogs. Um, and, yeah, wow. he's been trying to write an opera, which has been reduced to him just like – making up songs on a broken banjo and it's it's very it's um it's okay. a bit of a bleak read but it's very interesting and it's sort of yeah it deals with like colonialism and gendered violence but not directly and not sort of 
politically as silly as that sounds. It's more sort of about lineages of power and and about. I mean, for me, I, I haven't really read much criticism of it because I don't I don't want to because it affected me so much. Um, but it feels to me like it's about like lineages of power and about the like and about how nonsensical the idea of civilization is and and about you know what people really are at their core, which is power struggling mud grubs. Okay, wow. All right, that's. Uh... <laughs> Like so a- yeah, it's a it's a chill, fun beach read. Uh, yeah. Pick it up, <laughs> you'll have a great time. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Just like there, there's a nice variety in these episodes. Sometimes they're very light and relaxed, and other times it's, whew, there's so uh, there's. Uh, yeah, look, topics. honestly, it's just I think it is where my brain's at. I just I, I was perusing my bookshelf for something to read, and I looked at that, and I was just feeling very COVIDy. You know, tail end of all these lockdowns and. I just I, something was like I think this is a book that I should reread, and I found it really interesting and really reflective reading it again because I think when I first read it, early uni sort of coming into fe- feminist sensibilities, I was really quite focused on the sort of gendered violence aspect of it, and it, there is some really interesting stuff in there about how like um, women's bodies kind of uh, are often like you know the the site of of power struggles and of um, and of you're right we we all benefit. <laughs> societal violence and I was probably more focused on that when I first read it and then reading it again I've sort of had a completely different kind of take on it or picked out different things okay um as take on the novel or take on that topic take on the novel yeah no I I haven't uh haven't been red pilled (laughs) I'm a men's rights activist now so (laughs) so I think it's actually good that there's assaults in it (laughs) no it's just like I think this time what stood out for me more and I think what my brain was like you you will find interesting if you read this again was more the aspects of of the stuff about like civilization and um and the way we sort of think about ourselves as as individuals or as as part of a society and and yeah and power and what the what the lock the loss of power does to a person <laughs> because i think we're seeing that a lot at the moment in these uh lockdown protests you're doing my work for me i like it all right so you want to connect it to that <laughs> no so you think um as in when people feel that their power is getting taken away they'll react in yeah. extreme ways is that what you're trying yeah, to yeah like definitely when they feel their power is being taken away but it's sort of yeah it helped me to sort of reframe it as like thinking about how maybe maybe part of the problem is that we never really have power it's just we sort of live in this kind of capitalist culture that convinces us that we are like individuals with all this like power to to do what we want and have what we want and it's actually kind of not true um and that maybe there's like a that a bunch of these like kooks and loons are actually kind of realizing that at the moment and they don't like it <laughs> yes yeah, in like uh yeah i mean we we're, we're not there is no individual, yeah, when you're living in a society because there are interlocking, like yeah, or it's just not, it's just not, and you don't yeah. have that much power. No individual has power without it involving other people. So yeah, yeah, and also that like maybe your individualism isn't actually necessarily as important as you thought it was, or like it maybe it's less important in moment because we are living through like you know a pretty major historical event, and if there's one thing that historical events tend to do, it is like eclipse the eclipse the identity of individuals and sort of show us like it's sort of yeah like lay bare fault lines of of power and and stuff like that and yeah i think huh so you're saying just the sheer magnitude of what's going on is on its own like kind of making people be like it's putting you in your place <laughs> a little bit but also i think it um you know i think it's really interesting like if there's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic, um, definitely in Australia, and I assume probably in in similar countries, it's that people have sort of like it's it's laid bare a lot of economic inequality. Like it's made people realise that like you know because I think we have a tendency um, as sort of middle class people, I guess maybe now I'm technically middle class, like um, to sort of assume that we're we're pretty secure and comfortable, and then stuff like this makes you realize that you know unless you're pretty privileged, like you're actually not that many paychecks away from disaster when something like this happens. And so a bunch of people like having their ability to work taken away, or like small businesses having their ability to earn money taken away, makes you realize like oh, I'm actually like a little bit powerless in the in the face of you know, economic structures that don't really have my best interests at heart. I, I love how this could take a turn into a anti-capitalist podcast at any second. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm I'm never more than about 45 seconds away for an anti-capitalist rant. <laughs> 
They're always um, there, bubbling under the surface. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's not wrong. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you're not wrong. You know, it's a uh, yeah. People can. And that's part of I think the uh, what you're saying about the individual thing because like they they consider themselves individual from an economic sense, and mm. then they quickly find out how flimsy that situation is. Well, I, I think capitalism has a vested interest in us seeing ourselves as individual actors because you know the like one of the bigger threats to like unfettered capitalism would be things like trade union movements or, or um, you know, massive social, like, welfare safety nets that mean that people can't be exploited as easily for their labour because they can be more choosy about what jobs they take on and stuff. And so, yeah, it, I, I think it would be it would be cool if one thing that came out of this was a little bit more sort of class consciousness and, um, and understanding – that we all have an interest in changing things, not just the poorest amongst us. Yeah, it uh, benefits mm. everyone. I think that's part of the uh, – uh, I was chatting to someone recently about that. Uh, it's one of the mistakes of the left, if you want to call it that, in general, mm. is that they frame things in terms of uh, we're trying to help people out when actually forget that. Mm. Don't let the right claim selfishness. No, mm-hmm. you're being selfish for helping other people out because it makes your life better as well because the society <laughs> actually runs more efficiently. So, yeah. throw out all of that huggers and stuff. No, it's actually better for society when it's got a bigger social wealth in it. Yes, like it's, that's, it's that's so true. better go to work and have a job and be comfortable. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's really unhelpful to frame it as almost charity. Like, we, mm. should, we should organize on the left to help those poor people. People, it's like no, no, we, it, we, yeah, no, you're right. We, we nah, all forget benefit. other people. I don't give a shit about them. <laughs> I, I want to be better off, which means you need to look after everyone purely because it makes society better for me, on a selfish perspective. Yeah, which is that's what I'm saying. But yeah, but like yeah, think, thinking about that stuff and and reflecting after rereading this has been kind of helpful because I think I was sort of. Um, locked in a bit of like just perpetual like doom scrolling and outrage overall like the lockdown protests and all also you know just like this insane conspiracy theorism that's going around and and it's it feels like sort of the maybe the the less um uh like people just seem to be falling like dominoes to it as things get harder and harder and yeah, I think there's sort of a tendency to just sort of assume that, that things make sense or that people are doing things for motives that are kind of rational, but that they've just come to the wrong conclusion. And it was kind of helpful to me to sort of like, yeah, just to reframe it as as more sort of like howling into the void. Um, and that this is that sometimes these protests and these in frankly insane ideas are more of a of a like um, an expression of people's distress more than any like rationally held belief <laughs> helped me have a little more compassion <laughs> yeah yeah that's a, that's a, like i love the idea of uh you trying to get off doom scrolling by reading a book that's this depressing as well yeah. no it helped and it, it helped. honestly helped <laughs> it's not what you would think but like i could kind of see that you're like okay getting a bit of perspective and also probably um when you're caught up in any historical time like you said uh it helps to read about other historical times and be like okay yeah. yes this one's is pretty major, but there have been other ones in there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I don't really like the sort of almost like meme that's going around of like, well, imagine if you're in Afghanistan. Because I, I don't know, I find that really othering to just, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit like eat a, like your mum being like, eat everything on your plate. There's children starving in Africa kind of stuff. I don't, I don't love that. You don't want to be feels, one of them. <laughs> yeah, it still feels kind of colonial and us and them. And, yeah, um, I, I don't like that exactly. But, yeah, it's it is – Nice to reframe my, my thinking a little bit and, yeah. I think as long as you're aware of the risk of that otherness, I think it's mm. very appropriate, actually, just because, like, it's perspective. Mm. Um, as long as you don't treat it like, ha, 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 yeah, I'm not one of them, but, like, as long as you're like, oh, no, it is important to have gratitude for yeah. the lucky things, whilst also being happy for them to change and improve. Yes, and <laughs> I do have gratitude. Like- I've had such an easy pandemic compared to – other people, I've had housemates through it, so I've had a little bit of company. Um, I've, yeah, had a job that I can do from home. Like, it's definitely not been as bad as it could be. As much as it's really hard to work full-time during a pandemic, uh, it's, yeah. um, it is also just something to do. <laughs> I love that reason. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's paycheck, but it's also something to do. It's nice. there's, just, there's just so much time to fill. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. You've yeah. got books to read. Yeah. Maybe you need oh. something a bit longer than... Disgrace. 
does make you realize how insane full-time work though is though when you've got like nothing else you've got no commute like all you've got is like the need to sort of feed yourself and rest and maybe briefly exercise per day like it's kind of insane to realize that with with a, a full-time job you, you still actually don't have that much time left in the day even with everything else taken away You're like mm. oh this is bullshit. <laughs> this is so much of my life. Like at the moment, it doesn't matter because it's like, what else could I be doing? But it's actually made me very resentful. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We managed to make it about like 10 seconds. You're right. 45 seconds before we're back on your capitalist rant about <laughs> yeah. full-time work. Full-time work is bullshit. Uh, the system is broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, it's a. It's nice. I'm sure. We'll, I'm, I'm. I got a feeling it might not be the last time. This we, we somehow circle back to that. Um, <laughs> so, but with, to go back to the book for a sec, uh, and actually yourself. So you're you're a, you're a stand up comedian now. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess technically. Uh, yeah. Um. In theory, at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. In practice, usually in practice, at the moment, in theory, I'm a stand up mm. comedian. Mm-hmm. Um. And you're from WA originally. Yeah, I'm from Albany in WA. Lived oh. in Perth for a while. Yeah. Okay, that's like so. You where where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Was it like? Um, so Albany? Albany's on the Albany's on the southwest coast. It's um it's where Tim Winton is from. A lot of his books are set there. <laughs> nice. I nearly picked Cloud Street as my book, and I was like, I actually don't feel like rereading that right now. But that was a little bit of a that was a little bit of a seminal novel for me. And oh, really? It's set in, well, yeah, and it's like it's you it's a great book. Australians, you're all obsessed with. Tim We're all obsessed with Cloud Tim Winton. Street. Yeah, he's all he's all of our dad. I don't know. I, I think it's been like a lot of like rubbishing of of um of Cloud Street over the years, probably because so many people were forced to read it in high school English. But I think it's great. I think it holds up. <laughs> and also, you know, it's set in Perth, and it's set in a in a kind of time in Perth that was very personal to my mum, and like so, and a lot of those places are really familiar to me. And yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> but yes, yeah, lived yeah, in yeah. Perth for years, but from from Albany originally. This is a we, straight away a running joke seems to me to be about how much uh, South African families and stuff seem to have. Uh, there seems to be a, st- a strong strain, yeah, of South African yeah. people. I don't know what it is. Yeah, there's yeah. so many of them. Mm. Maybe they liked it because um, uh, it's racist. I don't know. <laughs> Or maybe Could Perth's be racist because they liked it and went there. <laughs> Perth's racist because of the sheer volume of South Africans. Though I don't know. I'm sure that this is look. There's plenty of not racist South Africans. <laughs> like not not hashtag not all South Africans. But yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. I think um maybe a lot of the ones that left were like I'm gonna go somewhere that's more white. Um, and they picked Perth because it's hot and boring. Yeah. So mm. so so there's no South African direction uh, connection directly for you. But you nah. just know of South Africans nah. coming and colonizing the area. Yeah, quite a lot of them. Yeah, don't know what it is, but yeah, All definitely, right. definitely a bunch of them there. Not so much in Albany though. Albany's like a little sort of kind of. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a sort of hippie, or well, not hippie town. I don't know. It's just it's coastal. It's a lot of sort of tree changes. Um, it's a very it's a cute town. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So that, 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 was, that was a connection I was saying. What about the uh, so in terms of the. Uh, you mentioned the feminist angle in uni when it, this book first hit you. Does mm. it was there an interest in like the whole post apartheid thing as well, or was that just like mm. no? I, I think um, I kind of remember why I, why I picked this up, but um, no, <laughs> no. I just I just read a lot at that point. I just read a lot of books, and this was just one of them. But yeah, yeah. So and I like I don't I, if we don't want to talk about this, we don't have to. But I do find <laughs> the uh, gendered like women's body thing as well super interesting and this is me because uh, i haven't read it so mm. uh, I, I could be getting you should live. definitely read it it's a very quick read <laughs> yeah yeah no i think i will especially anytime with that um <laughs> it's a quick read just add it to my <laughs> hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, it seems like from what I read, though, that it doesn't. It kind of approaches it in a less direct. He's he's. It's the it's the idea of someone like how can I phrase it without it <laughs> potentially <laughs> sounding so horrible. But he's he's like the affair that he has. It's not like mm-hmm. there's uh, a degree like she's she's involved just as much as he is. So the yeah. issue there isn't as directly obviously oh yeah and that's and that's something that definitely stuck out to me more when rereading it which i found really interesting is that so basically there's like two major areas of like sexual assault in the book there's um it starts out with his affair with a student but there's a there's a scene where that is quite explicitly i I would say now like a, a rape scene like there's um and he and he pretty much like the you know the protagonist pretty much calls that out that he sort of I think he calls it like unwanted to the core like it's um yeah it's a it's a kind of pretty disturbing scene um but it's sort of I think at that point it it sort of slips your notice a little bit on first read because it is sort of um contextualized within an otherwise sort of um and not an equal affair because it's a student and a teacher um but you know an otherwise sort of um like like a romantic situation um and then you know later on there's a much more sort of um you know explicitly like the the text is much more explicit about the fact that there's you know a, a violent rape in the in the context of a home invasion um and you know you, you sort of that tends to stick in the mind more but then sort of re-reading it as an adult, I was so much more disturbed by the, the fir- well, not more disturbed, um, yeah. like I, I was so much more disturbed than the first time I read it by the the first sort of depiction of the of the student, the teacher and, and the situation there. I was much more sort of sickened by it. And it was interesting when I was sort of Googling last night just to see if there'd been anything written about this book more recently. I found a um, an essay by um, Gia Tolentino, I think, in the New York Times um, revisiting this book in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein trial. It's a great essay. Um, and yeah, talking about, um, power and, and unequal relationships between older men and younger women and exploitation and, and situations of, um, of, you know, dubious consent or, or like questionable consent where there's power involved. And yeah, it was, it's, it, reading that as an adult, definitely, Oh, as an adult, I was technically an adult. <laughs> first read it, I would have been like yeah, 19. first year uni. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, rereading that now, I was like, oh, this is this is so much more sort of um, personal to me now. I've sort of, you know, definitely had more. I mean, you, you definitely experience some sus things as a as a you know female teenager, but you, you get so much more. In, you're such a smorgasbord in your twenties and thirties. <laughs> Of just oh dear. male nonsense. <laughs> you just get to the full range, yeah. Yeah, not not even necessarily like, you know, um actual assault or actual situations of, of, you know, like danger or predation or whatever, but like just, just more like sort of coming to understand the the sheer like weight that men's power has in society and, and how that sort of plays out in so many different ways. And it just yeah, it gave that that sort of scene in that part of the book a, a lot more weight for me rereading it i was like oh this is actually just as important in the text as the really as the sort of explicit violence in in the middle there's there's a lot of implicit violence to this that i didn't really pick up on when i first read it right so um and again this is me uh because i uh, yeah look because from what i read of it it looks and because i always find it interesting when they frame it like this and especially when it's a dude writing about another dude who's then doing this kind Mm. of stuff yeah totally. people love reading about it (laughs) but it seems like he this the way the book frames it is almost like how that's not um, the powers change now from what maybe it used to be. So he suffers for this stuff more than yeah. A little there's there's actually yeah actually now that you mention it there's um there's a part of it that's really kind of prescient about cancel culture and about um sus dudes railing against cancel culture because like that is sort of his um his trajectory in the beginning um yeah so the the student sort of reports him like the, the students um. In in the book, like her um, her work starts to go downhill. She's obviously, you know, you you can tell from her behaviour that she's pretty disturbed by what's happened. Um, I think she's sort of like dropping out or failing. Um, and he gets 
reported, I think, by her parents to the university. He has to go before he, he has to go before like a, a tribunal or a disciplinary panel or something, and um, and he takes the opportunity to when in like to speak in his own defense of just uh, of using like really pompous intellectual language and and really pretentious language and, and flowery metaphors and you know to, like in a way that was clearly never going to help. But I, th- I think he's sort of, he's, yeah, his, his lack of remorse and his lack of understanding about the reality of what he did is then sort of um, something that he comes to terms with over the course of the book, but not on an intellectual level, on almost like a bodily level. Like from there, um, he's sort of like physically broken down by the end of the book. Like he's set on fire at one point. Like he, by the end of the book, he's, he's older and his body's decaying and he's putting down dogs. And like, I think it's a much more interesting way to sort of look at his decline than to have to show his ideas changing. Right. He sort of becomes closer to the earth in a lot of ways by the end of it. Oh, right. Okay. As in like nature and stuff. Yeah. But like real nature, dead dogs. (laughs) Not pretty trees, dead dogs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, look, it's, it's it doesn't end on a nice note. It's not a nice book, but mm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, maybe that's today. I've had too much time alone with my own thoughts over the last year and a half. But yeah, maybe the um maybe the stuff about like coming closer to the the body and the and the sort of like um the stripping away of of, of intellectual pretensions and ideas and, and getting closer to the like the realities of the physical body again might be hitting a little bit harder because of COVID. I sort of I find like lockdowns can often be so physical. Like you know, we've obviously gone through a lot of them in Melbourne. Now we've had a chance to really get inside them, get, really experience them. You just sort of there's such a focus on your body a lot of the time because like a, a lot of the only things that you have to do are like to feed yourself and to like the only chance to get outside you have is to like exercise and so your whole day just becomes structured around just like the needs of your own body and kind of nothing else which is really strange (laughs) Uh uh-huh so that's something yeah yeah and so you know watching like reading this story about someone becoming a horrible mud grub i was like yeah me me too (laughs) not because i necessarily did anything bad but me too buddy (laughs) oh there's this quote actually i um i wrote down a quote from it that i that i really liked because i've been dealing with a fair bit of lockdown depression at the moment as have we all yeah yeah because i'm because i'm normal Mm -hmm. um and there's this passage at one point he says his pleasure in living has been snuffed out like a leaf on a stream like a puffball on a breeze he's become to he's begun to float towards his end he sees it quite clearly and it fills him. The word will not the word will not go away with despair. The blood of life is leaving his body and despair is taking its place. Despair, despair that's like a gas, odorless, tasteless, without nourishment. You breathe it in, your limbs relax, you cease to care, even at the moment when the steel touches your throat. And I was like, oh, I'll feel that. <laughs> okay. Because... <laughs> Because all the nice things and all the and all the ideas and the conversations and stuff are like stripped away, and you just you just left with you and your mucky little grub body. <laughs> Guess that's uh, that's an accurate. You've said grub body so many times, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, like a few things. So, um, firstly, uh, yeah, that is grim. So this is this is this was a depressing. Were you were you? Do you like the depressing? Like, obviously, I can see right now when you first read it, was it the same reason you kind of liked the fact that it was so. This is more depressing um, than I thought, actually. The first time I found it very shocking and a little upsetting, and this time I found it all not comforting exactly. But you know, you know, sometimes with things that aren't <laughs> what nice, does that sometimes your growth as a yeah. as a person. <laughs> yeah, um, it was horrible, and I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's just I don't know. Maybe when when I think when you're in a bad place, there's a comfort in in feeling seen or feeling to have had an aspect of what you're feeling expressed by someone else. You know, the, the, you know that that horrible. We're all in this together thing. But like you know, there is a comfort to there is a comfort to recognition and to to seeing that what you're going through is not just you. Mm. Even when it's like a fictional thing, because you're <laughs> like. This has happened, yeah. even if this, this situation here is a here part is. of the human experience. Yeah, clearly, because yeah. someone wrote it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's, that's true. Yeah, so it, it's like a, it's almost just another version of listening to sad music when you're sad. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I think there is a value in that to an extent. Yeah. Okay, so just reading a whole book, <laughs> depressing books when you're depressed. That's yeah. 
I I've never heard that before, um, and I like it. I, I dig it. Yeah, I'm. I'm I mean, definitely you know, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm binging Ted Lasso as well. I'm not I'm not insane. Like, yeah, well, you got it. Yeah, exactly. You got You got to have some. You got to have both. Yeah, you some sweetness with the sour, <laughs> yeah, with the bitter loneliness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So, but the other thing I was going to say with that, and this probably might tie into, um, because you do like stand up comedy in the writing and stuff. Mm. What's the writing like in? What's the writing like in uh, in this book? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's quite sounds amazing. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's um, it's uh, in in a lot of it, it's very plain, uh, quite stark. Um, it sort of only goes into the more flowery language where it's sort of um directly expressing the protagonist's point of view, and that again is sort of stripped away as the book goes on. It's really like the the prose is really quite stark um by the end of it, but it's a little more sort of flowery at the beginning where he's still hanging on to intellectual pretensions and there's he sort of um, it makes a lot of ref- there's sort of a lot of references to sort of romantic poets and stuff in the beginning and and that's sort of again stripped away by the oh, end really? of it. So I the, love that. the prose changes a little bit yeah, over yeah. the over the course of it but yeah no it's um it's quite plainly written it's um yeah which i like is that yeah cuz i can say so the language side of things cuz you have, were you always writing did you like writing yourself did you yeah yeah i've always kind of written yeah i've i've um I did. I came to Melbourne in the first place to do a screenwriting course, and then kind of dribbled, dribbled off, and didn't really do much with that, and stayed here. But yeah, I um, I've always written. I did like a minor in creative writing at uni, and I, I do love, I do love prose. But yeah, I, I often like, I, I like quite flowery prose, and this book is really quite plain and stark. But it it works for the subject matter. <laughs> uh, have you read Lolita? Yes. Yeah. This has <laughs> aspects of Lolita definitely in um in in the sense of like having a really unlikable protagonist who doesn't fully understand the realities of his own sort of relationship to, to power and relationship to, to women and power. It's definitely, it's got some strong Lolita sort of um, uh, echoes. Hmm. Well, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Plus Lolita's got the ultra flowery language as well. Mm. That's something yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah, that's kind of sustained throughout Lolita and he never really sort of fully comes to, (laughs) I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I don't think he ever really fully comes to terms with what he's done on the level that the protagonist in disgrace does. Nah, he doesn't really learn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's still, still sort of, yeah. Whereas the, um, there's definitely like an aspect of that to the, the way that, um, the way that Disgrace starts, like the protagonist really sees himself as part of this grand romantic tradition. He's, he's obsessed with Byron. Um, yeah, he's, there's a quote in there about something to the, something about like a, a woman's beauty does not belong to her alone. He's got these like very sort of iffy <laughs> ideas about, about romance and, and, um, uh, yeah, but those are definitely absolutely hit with a stick and destroyed by the end. <laughs> you keep going back to how fucking grim this is. I like it. <laughs> this, I this cannot does... emphasize enough how grim this book is. <laughs> this is sounding more and more COVID appropriate. Which it like, ends is... with just like mounds of dead dogs. Like, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just the, like the polar opposite of save the cat in screenwriting. Mm-hmm, <laughs> just mm-hmm. Kill the dog. Just again yeah, no, and again and again. It's fucking grim as. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, I, I think, you know, there's probably some legitimate critiques of this book to be had as well. Like, I I remember when I was first reading it, Um, you know, it was the early 2000s. Like, we hadn't really sort of had those conversations as a society yet about, like, um, identity politics and a lot of conversations that happened in, like, literature and academia around, you know, who should or who can write certain things. And this is, you know, it, it it's not a – book that I think everyone would appreciate because I think for a lot of people quite legitimately the idea of a you know middle class white man writing about colonialism and, and race and gendered violence you know th- that's going to be a little bit much for some people to get past which is completely fair enough um but yeah he is writing about you know he is setting this book in um in like immediately post-apartheid South Africa because that's when he wrote it. So, you know, it'd be pretty crazy to talk about power and not not grapple with colonialism and racism. <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean, uh, again, I, I I want to push back on that just a slight bit because like I, I'm all for everyone should be you and like, you know, if you feel this way, that's that's right. But at the same time, I feel like that's not fair because as long as you do it in the right way, everyone should be allowed to do everything. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, totally. It- and I mean, you know, I think only a only a bunch of extremists were saying that like there should be an absolute prohibition on people 
you know, on people writing certain things that aren't from their point of view, blah, blah, blah. I think it's more just that we had a very valid conversation about who should tell types of stories um, or the lack of people telling their own stories. And like, that, you know, so no that, one's those saying- are, Those are two different things. That's why I would push yeah. back on the first half of that saying, like, yeah, the issue isn't these people doing it. And even if I want to write a story about like anything, as long as I do the amount of right research where it's legit and I do engage with the community. Oh, yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying okay. like you like, wouldn't be able to write that. I'm just saying yeah. I think if someone said to me, I, you know, race is a sensitive, because I'm, you know, white. Like if someone said to me like race and colonialism is a really sensitive topic for me and I just, something gets my gets my back up about reading white men write about it, I would think that was completely fair enough. You know, no, I'm... I'm not going to force anyone at gunpoint to read this book. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, flag that as something that that might not work for people about this. But yeah, yeah I mean, like, but again, even the, the he's writing about it from the perspective of like it sounds like it's writing about it in the right. He's way. grappling, yeah, he's grappling with his part in it. He's yeah. and you can you can definitely tell that he's working out some stuff about himself through this character, like maybe trying to like get into some of the. The parts of his psyche and his understanding of the world and his culture that he's really deeply uncomfortable with. Yeah, and like, and it's just, and it's actually from his perspective of the impact of colonialism. So it's not him writing yeah. about it from. So he's not making any assumptions. Essentially, it's giving us sh- like the only argument. And that's why I say hmm. what you said before. I think you. I think you pulled it off. But I'm just saying that other people might disagree. <laughs> well, I think. I think you can take a position and say they're wrong to disagree. <laughs> that's what I reckon. Nah. Yeah, but that's the, that's the beauty of literature. You know, there's a multitude of different perspectives on it, and none of them are wrong per se. No, no, the, no, that's what I mean, though. The only issue here would be if he, and which has been the issue traditionally, is that his is the only voice that's getting, yeah, this yeah. is the only perspective getting seen. So, yeah. nothing and look, at the, time, at the time that this was written, that probably was much closer to the case. Mm. You know, it, this really was not that, like, when did apartheid end? The mid 90s? I can't even remember. That's, yeah, as if that was that late. No way. Um, early 1990s, early 90s. 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this, uh, I'm not sure which year this was published. I know it won the, won the Booker Prize. I think it was the Booker Prize, um, in 99. So that's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this, this really wasn't, yeah, it was published in 99. Um, so this really wasn't that long after all of that so you know that i'm i'm sure there was a, an absolute lack of um of you know black south african writers writing about about their own history and their own culture and you know so yeah that's <laughs> there, wild. there is that is something something that's worth sort of picking up on i reckon yeah no definitely the side of things where like they they and this is the whole story of Culture, but this is why I was pushing back on the specific of being mm. upset at anyone writing about it isn't the issue. The issue is other people not getting their say into it and getting that part of the culture. Yeah, totally. Sphere, oh, but I mean, you know, it's not like people. It's not like no one has ever tried to tackle a subject that they're not massively well equipped to tackle and fucked it up horribly. <laughs> and I just mean that I think it's like totally fair to to um to like have a problem with that aspect of it and being like, why the fuck did you think you should tell this story? <laughs> yeah. Look, I think it's, yeah. It, it, it. And it goes back to the theme of the book of like, you know, understanding that civilization is a ridiculous intellectual construct. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, and yeah, he, he definitely, the, the protagonist definitely grappling with like, but there's quite explicit passages about like the limits of language and how language is like a, it can be, um, that it was something that he used, like language and literature was something that he used to understand the world. And then he comes to realize that it was actually sort of keeping him at a distance from the reality of the world that he was living in. So you're saying as in like, to, it was almost a, a barrier. Inter- it, essentially, he was intellectualizing the world mm. instead of living it. Yeah. And he was understanding his place in the world, not just through the through the lens of his own class. You know, he's a sort of an upper an upper class white guy in immediate post-apartheid South Africa, but he was also understanding his place in the world through the lens of, like, romantic poetry and those sort of, like, historical and literary traditions. Um, And, yeah, then sort of there's a great passage where he says something about, like, how English is such a um, is such an inappropriate or not useful language to express the reality of of South Africa and and of of the – yeah, of of the of the time. 
As in, well, because like- he sort of he, he goes from Cape Town at the beginning of the book to um, a more sort of rural area where there's less English spoken and sort of understands more that like that that he's been in this sort of like rarefied bubble that worships like Western culture. And that that's actually not a huge part of the, the country that he's living in. Oh, okay. All right. So, as a reflection of what the country actually is. So, But specifically English, not like Well, because there's lots of language. different languages yeah. spoken there and he sort of ends up in a, in a region that doesn't, that doesn't primarily speak English, that speaks local dialects and Afrikaans and, yeah. Um, unless the – yeah, actually, I'm – I don't look. I don't know if he's supposed to have been speaking English or Afrikaans in the novel, but you know, but he, he ends up in a in a region that that doesn't speak either. Um, okay, so th- so then he's got to grapple with that side of things. Yeah, it's interesting. So you're saying like the very use of the language was both a uh, form of colonialism, I guess. The fact that it's yeah, well, I mean, it's English. not like anyone was speaking English before uh, before the whiteies got there. Yeah, yeah, but and then like yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I, I vary on or this. Afrikaans. Afrikaans was just like a corrupted um, dialect of Dutch. Yeah, mm. because like yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always swinging on this because it's like the idea that language is that important. Any individual language is that much of an impact on how you think. So I don't know. And it, it, well, not not so much the no, not so much the language or the dialect itself. It's it almost more talks about how like like language itself, like the need to intellectualize concepts and put them into language um, is a, is itself or can itself be a, a means of keeping the world and the reality of the physical world at, at bay and at a distance. Like, and that's sort of, there's a really lovely metaphor through the novel of him um, starting out trying to write this, like, I think it's first maybe a novel and then an opera about Byron. And by the end of it, it's just music. It's just like notes that he's picking out on a broken banjo that he's found in the attic um, because he's found like he's, he's found an aspect of this story because he's trying to write it about Byron and one of his lovers. And then by the end of it, he's completely shifted his focus and he's obsessed with this um, like one of Byron's lovers who's grown old and, um, and she's sort of, uh, she's doesn't really know what to do with herself. And, and he, he finds herself, he finds himself identifying with her, not with Byron anymore. But he also finds that he can't find the words to express her story. He can only sort of plinky plonk it out in, in music. That's really <laughs> sweet. And, but also, yeah. What are you trying to express if you're trying to overthink it and overcook it rather than just like express the thing itself? And sometimes, yeah, language can get in the way of that or a certain, t- yeah, if, if you're trying to, especially snooty, like I'm going to do it in this way. And then it's like, that's. Yeah. 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 The only, the, the only valuable language is like English and, and filtered through the lens of academic traditions and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I can see it. So, yes. And so really what, and, and to put it back to what I was saying, so COVID essentially has stripped mm. us all back. To our bodies, yes. to our forgetting of language, to our basic. Oh god, nature. yeah, I've I've literally like forgotten how to use words at times. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of a lot of my work is like over email, and sometimes I'll open my mouth to try and talk to like my housemate or a delivery person, and I'll just be like, I can't, I, I, I sentence can't. <laughs> yeah, after a few days alone, you can sometimes start feeling like that. I just see, I live mm-hmm. alone, so I just talk to myself constantly. That's the oh, secret. Mate, yeah. I think yeah yeah yeah. Well, if you've got a pet around, you just you're just constantly jibber jabbering to. <laughs> yeah, except I've now found a fun problem is I've, I'm talking to myself in public sometimes, which I've got to stop myself. Yeah, like little expressions. Masks are great for that though. Yeah, I, I've sometimes I've found that like times I just want to have a little mutter to myself, and I'm in in the supermarket. And I'm like, oh, I can. <laughs> As long as I keep it quiet, I can just behind this mask and no one can tell. Yeah, that's better. Uh, my one that I noticed where it took out for me the most was actually this is in between lockdowns. You know those those tiny islands in between. Oh, those those brief little moments. Yeah, yeah, and I was at a cafe and I was on a laptop uh, just to be not in the house, and I just started talking, and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> Public. Oh, <laughs> People no. looking at me, so I'm like, ah, ah, I'm on AirPods. You can't see them. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Oh man, it's hard. We've all, yeah, we've definitely all gone a little cuckoo. I mean, not all of us have become anti-vaxxers, but we've all gone a little cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, we've all found our own little expressions of it. Um, yep, yep. I'm thinking about joining a fight club after this. It's the only way to feel alive. I think so. Once life gets back so. to normal, you're going to be like, fuck society. <laughs> I mean, honestly, reading this novel is a little bit like the intellectual equivalent of a fight club. So. 
That is uh, it's, that was my favorite quote I'm going to get from the show. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Uh, we've kind of just focused on the more depressing aspects of the book, but I've actually yeah. very much enjoyed that, especially the idea. Oh yeah, of- I'll pick up on some of the less depressing aspects of it. Um, the font is nice. That's it. There's, no, there's nothing. It's a really depressing that's book. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's that's, that's sometimes that's. I'm kind of want to read it now, though. To be honest, yeah. it's worked. It's worked in a it's, weird roundabout it's way. Short. It's short, it's sharp, it's like a bracing punch in the face. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. I guess uh, we'll probably leave it there, I think. <laughs> On these if two fantastic feeling, quotes. If, yeah, God, if you've gotten this far, all I can say is uh, Ted Lasso, um, binge the whole thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm going through some stuff. <laughs> I, I can tell. We all are, so it's Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, is there anyone, anywhere people should catch you on anything, I guess, before? Yeah. Um, uh, vaccine Center. I won't be there, but you should be. <laughs> if I'm going to plug anything, I'm going to plug fucking vaccination. Yeah, yeah. I want to see my family at Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, are you seeing the ads now for, uh, I'm seeing a lot of performers now starting, like comedians, yeah, putting up for Fringe. For Melbourne Fringe. Yeah. And you're I, like, oh, it, honey. <laughs> I had to I had to hide under a blanket for a minute. I didn't I I didn't know what to think. I still don't know what I feel about that. I'm like I'm I am so happy for people who have hope. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like oh, like, that's a hard. Like, I mean, look, it might happen. It might happen, and I think it's a little yeah different to French last year. I think people are probably going in with a much more realistic idea of the odds of it happening. Yeah, and great, good. I'm looking like I'm looking at Perth for Fringe as well next year, January, Ooh. Feb, and I'm like I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean it'll probably happen. It's just will they let us dirty plague state people in? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And I, I'm not, mm. I'm not uh, but yeah, a lot can change. You know, all you need is mm-hmm. uh, the numbers going to go down. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, that's, let's not oh, turn this into a COVID podcast. Know. This is about <laughs> abuses of power in colonial, post-colonial South Africa. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, thanks a lot. All right, well, we'll leave it there vaccinated. then. Um, thank you, thank you for letting me get oh boy a lot of stuff off my chest. That was great. That was uh, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it was interesting. Mm. All right, awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com.